just while uh, you're turning there, um, if you, some of you young fellows, to um, uh, break these two side wings of the auditorium, the chairs, if we can just put them on the walls, on the sides of the wall there, uh, so that uh, we'll just leave this part ready for the prayer meeting this Wednesday, and then we'll just um, uh, deal with this um, section on Wednesday, just so that we can get things prepared and sorted uh, for next Sunday, uh, if you could help that, us with that. And also, um, the, um, the, the bin needs to be uh, taken out tonight, uh, so please, uh, if we can uh, help in regards to that. We've been going through this series on facing our giants, and i got to tell you, I... Um, I get a lot out of it personally myself. And I think you'll you'll understand um, there's a section in, in, in my notes tonight to, to share with you in regards to this. And we're nearly done, perhaps uh, another sermon or two. Um, but, beloved, we do face uh, challenges. We do face situations in our lives. And um, many a times, uh, apart from the Lord, as uh, we've always been saying, uh, if we're not abiding with him, without him, we can do nothing. And so, if you've missed some of uh, the messages, I mean, it's all uh, in the website, it's on Sermon Audio. Uh, I do encourage you to listen to those and re-listen to those. And I trust that it will be an encouragement to you, as it has been uh, for me. Uh, many times we say the, uh, the joy in preaching is really not the day that you preach it, uh, but it's on the lead-up, uh, on the study, and how uh, much of a blessing the Word of God is. Who am I? I am a young lawyer in the United States who suffers from chronic depression, so bad that my friends kept all knives and anything sharp away from me for fear that I might use them to commit suicide. I wrote on my journal, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode that I shall not. I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better. Who am I? I am Abraham Lincoln. Who am I? I said, never give up. Never, never, never give up. But I also said, depression is a black dog that followed me all my life. Winston Churchill, who was deemed to be the greatest prime minister of the United Kingdom. Who am I? I said, you may be surrounded with all the comforts of life and yet be in wretchedness more gloomy than death if the spirits are depressed. 
You may have no outward cause, whatever for sorrow, and yet if the mind is dejected, the brightest sunshine will not relieve your gloom. There are times when all our evidences get clouded and all our joys are fled. Who am I? I'm known as the Prince of Preachers. I'm Charles Haddon Spurgeon. 1 Kings chapter 19. Would you stand with me, please? Beginning here in verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, it is enough. It is, not, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came on again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of the meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Father, thank you once again for the privilege to preach your word. Thank you that, as always, we can look to your word and see the lives of men and women throughout the ages that are for our ensample. Thank you, Father, that we can look and read through them these many thousands of years later and yet so relevant in this our day. Father, we all face this giant of depression. And I pray tonight, once again, you would encourage us that you teach us how to battle through this giant that is most common to man. Meet with us tonight. Help me to be used for you and by you to give a comfort to a grieving soul tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Beloved, the fact is, some of the greatest people in the world, and indeed in the Bible, those whom we call as giants of our faith, all of them were not immune to this giant, and them too suffered and struggled with their own giants of depression. Think of Moses, who asked God to kill him. In Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 to 15, I am not able to bear all these people alone because it is too heavy, too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, 
I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. That was Moses. How about Jonah? So wanting to die after a revival in the godly city of Nineveh, ungodly city of Nineveh. Oh Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Was there ever a time in your life where you felt the same? You've been overwhelmed with the temptation to despair, the temptation to give up, there seemed to be no light at the end of the tunnel. All you see is nothing but darkness. Are you being stalked by the giant of depression? But what exactly is depression? One Christian psychologist said, and I quote, Depression means feeling extreme discouragement. Dejection, despair, hopelessness. All of those describe depression, but hopelessness perhaps is the most telling. That feeling of all is lost. That thought of just giving up, quitting. Nothing matters anymore. You just can't make it. No matter what you do, it doesn't make any difference. I believe this was where Elijah was at the time. He's hit rock bottom. Hard to understand after all that he did, but he found himself depressed. Look and listen to him in verse 4. It is enough, Lord. Take away my life. For I am not better than my father's. Now to ask the Lord to take one's life is indeed rock bottom. But how could this be? Just before our text, chapter 18, verse 46, the last verse there, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, the Bible says. The inference was that he is getting himself ready to deal with Ahab. He ran, the Bible says. Uh, that doesn't look like a man depressed. I read that as a man determined, not depressed. Just like David ran towards Goliath, didn't he? But how different it was in chapter 19. In the previous chapter, Elijah's, Elijah was running towards Ahab uh, into, at, at Jezreel. In chapter 19, he's running away from the place. We saw him at his best in chapter 18, and we saw him uh, at his worst, or we read him at his worst here in chapter 19. At one moment, it didn't face him to stand alone in front of 450 uh, false prophets of Baal, alone. Alone with God, of course. But it didn't face him. It didn't make him flinch at all. But here in 19, 
He was so afraid of one woman, and he ran for his life. One day he is at the peak of the mountain of his faith in the Lord at Mount Carmel, and then at the valley the next day, fearful for his life and depressed. Elijah faced the giant of depression and he was overcome by it. Have you been there? Are you there now? The darkness of depression, the grip of despair has gotten hold of you. Discouraged, despondent, feeling hopeless. You know the story of Elijah, of course. After he gained a a, a tremendous victory for the Lord at Mount Carmel, a messenger from Jezebel was sent to him, essentially to say, I will find you and I will kill you. That was the message. Verse 3 tells us that Elijah arose and went. He ran for his life. Uh, He went to Beersheba. Now from Jezreel to Beersheba is some 161 kilometers. Uh, Folks, that's like here in Bayswater to Foster. Foster is near Wilson Sprung. I looked it up in the map. Uh, And that's how far south he went. But verse 4, look at it. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He left his servant at Beersheba, and he further went away another day's journey into the wilderness. Wow. All that by foot, by the way. He must have been really afraid of Jezebel and to lose his life at the hand of this woman. Now let me remind you, this is Elijah we're talking about here. That great man of the faith. That courageous man who stood before Ahab, the most powerful man uh, in the then known world at that time. This is him running away. This is the man who we now read to have sat under a juniper tree asking God to kill him. Now we learn from my clinician what depression is, but how common is depression? How common is depression in man? We hear it more often these days. Mental health. Now, whether it is fully legit or not, heaven knows. But how many times mental health issues have been raised in this our day? At the very least, I believe depression is much more common than we give it credit for. It was true then, and it's still true today. Perhaps many are just not openly admitting it. But listen to the psalmist when he said, And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would just fly away and be at rest. Psalm 55, verse 6. From the psalmist 
to the prophet, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 2. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them. Again, I ask, have you been there? That feeling that no matter what you do, the people just doesn't like you. Doesn't want you. And consequently, you just want to go and leave. I think we do not have a full appreciation of what depression is. And what it does to a person and more importantly, what we are doing to add to it. Do you know that William Cowper wrote the hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood? At the time of his depression, he wrote it. Cowper, Spurgeon, Elijah, while in depression, were still doing God's bidding. And so, yes, depression is common to man. Elijah himself did all that the Lord asked him, chapter 17, verse 5, so he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. Verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath, chapter 18, verse 2, and Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. Uh, Elijah was confident in his God, chapter 17, verse 1, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. This was the man who challenged Ahab and his false prophets and his false god Baal alone. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel and to Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, chapter 18, verse 19. That's him. He did everything that the Lord said. He followed through what God instructed him. This was man, the man Elijah whom the darkness of depression came unto. Oh, my dear ones, it happens to the best of us. The giant of depression can cripple a man, but it can also creep up in a moment, even in moments of victory. Notice when depression happened in the life of Elijah. Just after having been used mightily and experienced the victory in the Lord. In 17.6 and 9, Elijah's needs were met. His prayers were answered in 18.38. His God was proclaimed and the people vowed unto his God through him. 18, chapter 18, verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. How do you like to be the one that God used to be an instrument for a revival into the whole nation like Jonah did at Nineveh? And here is Elijah who was used mightily by God to slay 400 false, 450 false prophets. And then the people saying, the Lord he is the God. How would you like that? That would have been a moment. 
That would have been a mighty, wondrous moment for any man. And that was a moment that Elijah had. One can rightly, uh, sorry, be careful, beloved. Be careful of that depression. It can hit you during the moments of victory but also during the moments of vexation. I don't mean to dismiss or downplay Jezebel and her threat to Elijah here, but compared to what the Lord has taken through Elijah and the lead up to Mount Carmel and all the things, wondrous things that God did uh, in and through Elijah, the threat of Jezebel would have been minuscule compared to what God hath done through Elijah. This goes to show you, beloved, that depression can overwhelm you even in those moments that really do not matter much. Somebody rightfully said, you can block out the huge sun with a small coin if you put it close to your eye. It's right. As this massive, huge sun, and you can block it out with a little coin, just put it close to your eyes. Read the meaning of that. Tells us that what the clinician said, what depression is, how common it is. Let's now consider the cause or the causes of it. There are at least three causes of Elijah's depression that I want to submit to you tonight. You see, beloved, firstly, victory can make us vulnerable. Victory can make us vulnerable. It makes us relax and put our guard down and then makes us susceptible to the wiles of the evil one. Uh, we forget to be vigilant, to be sober, because our adversary, the devil, uh, as a roaring lion, seeketh about whom he may devour. But because we had experienced victory, we sort of put our guards down. And so, that is the time that the devil tries to get to us. Do you notice that when you determine to step up, uh, when you determine to do something for the Lord, that's the time that Satan discourages you? He leaves you alone when you're just cruising along through life. When you're not involved, when you're not doing anything significant for the Lord, he just leaves you alone because the, he, he's got you where he wants you. But the moment you step up, the moment you determine within your soul that I'm going to do great things for God, that I'm going to lift up the ante in my life, that I'm going to be more faithful to Him, that I'm going to serve Him more, that I'm going to do these things for the Lord. And guess what? That's when Satan pays attention to you. Victory makes us vulnerable. Secondly, fear 
Fear makes us faithless. What happened to Elijah is that he took off his eyes of Jehovah and focused his eyes unto Jezebel. Beloved, sadly, this is also what happens to the most of us. We take our eyes of Jesus and we focus on the Jezebels of our lives. We become fearful, then fearless, faithless, then faithful, despondent, then determined, depressed, then dependent upon God. Just like Peter. We walk unto the water in faith initially. And then we see the storms. And we take our eyes off the Savior. And guess what happens? We sink in the sea of doubt and depression. No different. We become fearful. What and who are you looking for tonight? Are the storms of depression or the Savior divine? I pray it's the latter. His victory made him vulnerable. His fear made him faithless. And thirdly, his work made him weary. Perhaps weary in well-doing. Back in our text and look with me here in verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Hmm. I, even I, only. I'm the only one around here that you fill in the blank. Be careful of that thought, beloved. Because of the obvious pride. As what Brother Branco has encouraged and reminded us. <laughs> we need him every hour. For me, Brother Branco, I need him every minute. Uh-huh. Be careful. I, even I, only... That screams pride right there in the end. And secondly, I, even I, only. Really? You see, the trouble with Elijah was he was looking horizontally. He was looking at other people. He compared himself with the other children of Israel rather than the God of Israel. Listen, when you start looking at people, I can guarantee you they will disappoint you. And you will disappoint them. Quite frankly, when you look at others, you will always find something to be disappointed about as you compare yourself to others. Can I ask you in love, what makes you think that you are right. What makes you think that you are better than others? 
What makes you think that you can be the judge of others? The last time I look, the father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. Judge John 5, 22. Verse 27, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the son of man. Romans 14, verses 10 to 12, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I have lived, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10, of course. Now, I'm not giving Elijah a free pass here. He shouldn't have thought and said, what he, he thought and said. But Elijah was weary. Yes, perhaps weary in well-doing. He was weary physically. He lived in the midst of three years of famine. He just contended and slain 450 prophets of Baal by hand. They didn't have machine guns back then, beloved. He's been up and down Mount Carmel I'm struggling to walk a block on a flat surface uh, where, where I live. Uh, try doing what Mount Car- um, Elijah did. Uh, uh, like I said, he ran for his life out of Jezebel's threat more than 160 kilometers by foot. Man, he was physically exhausted. He was worn out, and when we are physically spent, when we are weary, That is the perfect time for the enemy to wound us even more. Elijah was also worn out, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. He felt very much alone. I, even I only, felt that way. But you see, he has forgotten that he is never alone. But let's be honest. We do the same. What we know mentally is really not what we keep emotionally. We know it. We quote it. We write it on cards. We're never alone. But there are just times that in spite of what we know, We don't feel it. You know, you can be depressed and not know it, or the other way around. Know it, but not admit it. Or say it. You're worried about what people might say. I'm supposed to be the one that holds this thing together. I'm supposed to be the one who is not fearful, but courageous. I'm supposed to be the one who knows all the answer from the book. 
I'm supposed to be the one who always needs to be soft-spoken, meek, and, and humble around here. Everyone else can do and say what they say, but not me. I'm supposed to be, you go and fill in the blank. Elijah was weary physically. He was weary emotionally, mentally, and thirdly, he was weary spiritually. Now hang on, Pastor. How can one be weary spiritually? Allow me to be plain for a moment and just speak my heart to you tonight. I think and I believe, and please don't get me wrong here, you as a congregant, even the faithful ones that you are tonight, you really do not have a full appreciation of what a pastor, a preacher, a teacher gets weary about. Not really. Only another pastor can perhaps come close. And even that, depending on where that other pastor is in his own ministry, determines his understanding and weariness spiritually. Imagine being in front of the book, the holy book, every day, all the time. Imagine the toil on the person mentally, emotionally, spiritually, every day and every time. Every time he opens this book, he sees himself as nothing but undone. Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. He sees it like the old prophet did. He realized that in him dwelleth no good thing. He understands that for him to live godly is to suffer persecution. But most of all, in spite of all the care that he has in and for the church, his own receives him and will receive him not, just like his Savior was rejected by his own. That can be wearisome. Paul had it. Spurgeon had it with all the thousands of people that he has to care for. And if you honestly look, a well-meaning pastor, it's the same experience. And this is not a complaint. This is not a pity party. This is not to solicit any emotions from you. It is fact. 
Every time we look at this book, we see ourselves as undeserving to stand behind this pulpit. I see myself unqualified to dish out the precious word of God. And the only way that I and the other well-meaning pastors, I'm not talking about the charlatans who wants to make money. The only goal on the strength and enablement and the grace and the mercy of God and the authority of God's word. That's really all the reason why we can do what we do. Apart from that, I don't think anyone can continue to do what we do if we're just relying on our own strength. And my dear ones, it can be wearisome. Elijah was weary. He was weary physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And that's all the bad stuff. Let's get into the good stuff now. <laughs> After all, our series is all about facing our giants, right? In particular, this giant of depression. So what is, or what are the cure for depression? But first, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God did not answer uh, Elijah's prayer and, and Moses' prayer to, to take their life? Uh, because if, if, have you ever wondered that if God did, they would have missed the blessings. Uh, they would have missed the, the, the presence uh, and, and the power uh, that God has given and endowed them in their ministry. And so listen, uh, for you that are Sunday school teachers, you that are performing ministry, and to this pastor, uh, when we get to that depressive state, Lord, end it all. I want to get out of here and just leave it because I just can't continue anymore. This is a, so much of a very heavy burden to bear. Uh, and if God answered those prayers, my dear ones, we would have been the ones who's missed out. Because the Lord will continue his purpose in someone else. The Lord will use anyone to fulfill his promise. And because we quit too soon, we miss out. And so, what's the cure for depression? Okay. I learned that Robert Murray McChain one of my favorites, a minister in the Church of Scotland uh, in 1835 to 1843, him who said, at the very time I was beginning to give up in despair, God gave me tokens of his presence. What are these tokens? What are the cures for depression? For Elijah, for you, and for me. First, Godly rest. Godly rest. He in verse 5 to 7. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking off the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink 
and what laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Notice how the Lord dealt with his depressed and despondent servant. He didn't say, you useless, complaining, and whining servant. No. God said, you need rest. Just rest. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. Just rest. God provided for him much needed sleep. Food and drink. Really, in all <laughs> intents and, intent and purposes, just practical ministration from no other than the Lord Himself. The Lord Jesus Himself said to His disciples, You know, Mark 6 31, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Godly rest is one way to combat, to cure, to face the giant of depression. Resting and feeding in his word, his creator, creation, and setting yourself uh, apart. And yes, even in the wilderness, just between you, the Lord, and his word. Secondly, not just goodly rest, but godly rebuke. Godly rebuke. Look with me here in verse 9. And he came hither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Hmm. What doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah, feeling sorry for himself, perhaps, self-righteously, feeling he is the only one doing the will of God, the Bible says, that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Elijah, what doest thou here? What are you doing here? What in the world are you keeping yourself fearful and feeling sorry for yourself in this dark cave? Why did you leave your post? Why did you leave your duty? Who is looking after the lost sheep of Israel now? God has just shown himself magnificently to all the people. You should be out there doing follow-ups, declaring uh, God and his glory, preaching, proclaiming the one true God and not Baal. Expose yourself as the true prophet, not the 450 false prophets who are now dead. And yet here you are hiding in this dark cave. What's happened to you Elijah? Are you in the dark cave of depression tonight? Perhaps fearful? Feeling sorry for yourself? Elijah was in the wrong place. Having a pity party. Are you there tonight? At the wrong place. What doest thou here, Elijah? Is God asking you the same question this evening? What, where, who are you hiding from? Are you hiding yourself within the veil of apathy? 
of sin, of self-righteousness, even when you're supposed to be out there proclaiming the word of God, to exalt the Savior, to exercise your gifts in the body of Christ, and yes, indeed, evangelizing the lost, the sinners, and yet you are in your cave, hiding and heeding in endless genealogies and fables, Paul says, which minister questions rather than godly edifying. Having swerved and turned aside unto vain jangling, having uh, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge truth. Are you hiding in that? How do we face our giant of depression? Have a time of godly rest. Be open to God's rebuke. And thirdly, as we close, go, return. Go and return. Return where? Return where your commission is. Elijah, God is not finished with you. You have to finish your course just like what Apostle Paul did. Look with me here in verse 15. Uh, uh, And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphath and Abel Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Elijah has got a task to do. Go return to what I have ordained you. What I have purposed you to do. Anoint the kings that I have placed over Syria and Israel. Anoint your successor. The one that will follow after you, Elisha. Go, return, complete your mission, Elijah. You see, beloved, the tragedy of those who are depressed is that they have lost their way in wallowing with misery and feeling sorry for themselves. Hmm. Consequently, making others around them miserable as well. You know the old saying? Misery loves company. Them ones. They sit around proclaiming themselves as the victim. They do nothing about themselves and their situation except feeling sorry for themselves, announcing it to everyone how they have been hard done by. They forget what they themselves have done and are doing to others. Their focus and attention is all about themselves and not about the Savior. They see themselves as the only one that is doing right and everyone else isn't. Everyone else do not seem to understand nor do they seem to care. They criticize and complain. They sit rather than serve. Immerse themselves with misery rather than get up and go. Return to where they have fallen and failed 
And here it is, realizing that failure is not final. Failure is not final. Indeed, Elijah got depressed, but hey, the Lord did not write him off. He rested him, he rebuked him, and he recommissioned him. Are you depressed this evening? What the Lord did to Elijah, he can do to you and me. The question is, will you get up and go? Return to where you have fallen Knowing that in the Lord, beloved, failure is not final. If you look at your life and how many times you have failed the Lord, did he write you off? He didn't, did he? He rested you. He rebuked you in his word. And in his mercy, he recommissioned you. My dear ones, at one point or another, we may have failed. And for some of us, failed dismally. But failure in the Lord is never final. He is a forgiving God. He is a faithful God. And a God that says... Fear not, it is I. You can beat the giant of depression. You can in and with the Lord. Father, thank you for this time. Even though, Lord, we are a group and bunch of failures, we're so glad for your forgiveness. We are indeed thankful for your faithfulness. That even in our failures, and oh, there are so many. Thank you that you did not kick us in the guts. You didn't tell us, I told you so. You didn't get rid of us. Rather, you rested us. You rebuked us. And indeed, you recommissioned us. Oh, Father, may we learn the lessons of Elijah here. To go and return. To finish the task. Not to get lost to the left nor to the right, but to get focused on the things that you have called us to do. To finish the task and the purpose that you have ordained us. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do to each one of us. We ask it in Jesus' name.